Well, it's good to see you all this morning. I'm pleasantly surprised. There's more of you in this room than I thought there would be. But then again, I told, you know, James Bladel, who's on the slides, who's from Wisconsin, acted like this was just another Tuesday. So he was, he was not sure why anyone was concerned about it. But we know uh, that the roads were dicey, so thank you for making it in. For those who are online, we totally get it. We're glad you're safe at home. And uh, we're excited to gather, whether you're in person or on the live stream. And I would just say, you know, wherever you're at, or whatever you're surrounded by, lean in this morning. Because, you know, it could be like just a throwaway morning, uh, especially if you're at home, the kids are running around. Lean in. Because I believe God has a word he wants to say to us from Jonah chapter 4 this morning. So can I pray with us? Ask God to settle our hearts and speak to us through his word. Father, I do. I, I feel a little bit scattered. I admitted that to the worship team earlier. Just with coming back from the holidays and the snow. And I'm sure others feel scattered. But I'm sure others are just so thankful to be in a warm place, Lord. So we thank you for warmth. We thank you for just the beauty of snow. But Lord, we've gathered to hear from you today. We don't want to hear from a person. We want to hear from the Lord. We want to hear from you. So would you speak through your word? Would you open our hearts to what you have to say to us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Andy said, this week we're going to finish a four-week journey through the book of Jonah. And while this is a really small book, I, I think you probably, like I have, have seen that this book has much to teach us about God, about his providence, about his salvation, about how he, how he works in our lives, and ultimately about ourselves. And I think this is especially true for chapter four. But before we pick up in verse one, let's just recap the journey real quick. It's only four chapters, so let's just recap where we've been. In chapter one, Jonah is called to go to the great city of Nineveh and to preach against it. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. He jumps on a boat and tries to run as far as he can in the opposite direction. But God sends a storm to confront Jonah in his running. And when Jonah realizes his sin, he tells the sailors to throw him overboard because they will be saved. And while the sea could have been Jonah's end, God appoints a great fish to come and swallow Jonah, to rescue Jonah. And in chapter 2, we saw Jonah's prayer and repentance in the belly of the fish, which ultimately climaxed with the confession that salvation belongs to the Lord. In chapter 3, Andy had us marvel at the grace of God when the word of God came to Jonah a second time. Once again, Jonah is told to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach the message that God would give to him. And last week, we listened with wonder when in response to Jonah's message of judgment, that in 40 days, the Lord would demolish Nineveh, everyone in the city, from the greatest, the king himself, to the least, mourned over their sin and repented. God used his word to move in the hearts of the Ninevites. And the last verse of chapter 3 says, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. What, what an incredible thing. And that brings us to chapter 4. As we look at these 11 verses this morning, I want us to just notice three things in the text. I want us to notice Jonah's heart, 
God's heart and our heart. Jonah's heart, God's heart, and our heart. First, let's look at Jonah's heart in the story, which is really revealed in Jonah's response to God's decision to have mercy on Nineveh. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Andy's last point last week was titled, The Scandal of Jonah. Don't miss how scandalous Jonah's response to God here is. Listen, God, or Jonah is not just unhappy with God. Jonah is not simply discontent. He's not simply annoyed with God. Jonah is enraged with God. There's not strong enough language that I could say appropriately here this morning to communicate how furious Jonah is. And why is Jonah so angry? Well, I appreciate his honesty because he tells us explicitly in verse 2 in his prayer. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. In the words of the former Arizona Cardinals coach, Dennis Green, Jonah is angry because God is who he thought he was. Thank you for the couple laughs. Jonah is, or God is who Jonah thought he was. He tells us the whole reason that he ran from God in the first place in chapter 1 is because he knew who God was. Listen, Jonah had good theology, but a sin-filled heart. He knew that God was the type of God that extends mercy and grace to those who don't deserve it. He knew that he's the type of God who loves those who actually deserve the opposite. And reading between the lines here, tells us that Jonah ran because he despised the Ninevites. He hated these violent and brutal enemies from the north who posed such a risk to his people. Ninevites, in Jonah's mind, were the type of people that not only does God not save, but that he shouldn't save. I wonder how that thought hits you this morning. So, so how did Jonah get here? A prophet of God. How did, how did a prophet of God get to a place where he responds with such unrighteous anger to the mercy of God? There are at least two reasons that I think Jonah's heart could respond to mercy in such a way, God's mercy in such a way. First, Jonah had forgotten how much his story and Israel's story were like Nineveh's story. Do you know where the description that God gives of himself in, in Jonah 4, verse 2, first occurs in the Bible? Do you know where that description, that self-description of God first occurs? It shows up in Exodus 34. And do you know the context of Exodus 34? Let me remind us, in the book of Exodus, God miraculously rescues the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And then he miraculously rescues the Israelites from Pharaoh's army by walking them through the Red Sea on dry land. And then he leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he makes a covenant with them and begins to give them the law. But shortly after, really shortly after this miraculous deliverance, where they saw signs and wonders aplenty, and while Moses is still on the mountain with God, the Israelites 
make a golden calf and begin to worship it, saying, this is the God who saved us out of Egypt. As this is happening, God tells Moses, now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Listen, God was justly and righteously angry with his people's sin and idolatry, the people he just made a covenant with. But after Moses intercedes for them on the basis of God's character and promises, Exodus 33 records very similar language of God's actions towards Israel of those of his actions towards Nineveh in Jonah 3. So this is what it records, Exodus 33. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Doesn't that sound a lot like what God did for Nineveh in chapter 3? So the Lord re- relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. It's into this immediate context that God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, to be the Lord. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. The gracious and compassionate God who extended mercy to the Israelites when they deserved judgment and death because of their sin was the same God who extended mercy to the Ninevites when they deserved judgment and death because of their sin. As Daniel Timmer says, in other words, the divine mercy, patience, and compassion that Jonah finds intolerable were and still are responsible for the survival of the nation of Israel, of which he is a part. Jonah's life and salvation, as we have already seen in this book, depend on the extravagant mercy and grace of God that he so despises when it's on display in the city of Nineveh. Because to Jonah, this mercy seems to go too far. To him, God's mercy towards Ninevites seems different and more scandalous than his mercy towards Israelites. We do this too don't we? We do this when we make some conversion stories more miraculous than others. When we say things like, I don't really have a dramatic testimony. You know, I wasn't saved out of a gang or out of drugs or out of deep addiction. I don't, I don't really have a dramatic testimony. We do that, don't we? We make some conversion stories less miraculous than others. We think, we think about others, we think it would take a miracle for God to save that person or those people. But what we don't understand is that every faith story is a miracle. Every time a condemned sinner comes to faith in Jesus, it's miraculous, supernatural mercy all the way down. Let me say that one more time. Every time a condemned sinner comes to faith in Jesus, it's miraculous, supernatural mercy all the way down. Jonah had lost sight of this. And thought that the kind of mercy that he and other Israelites had received was, was, was some kind of justified mercy. Or maybe a, a type of mercy that they had earned. Whereas the kind of mercy and grace that God extends to the Ninevites simply went too far. It was, it was an out-of-bounds type of mercy. This brings us to the second reason that Jonah's heart got to such an angry and hate-filled place. God's mercy towards Nineveh was out-of-bounds to Jonah because he struggled with tribalism. 
Tribalism can mean many different things. So what I mean when I say that Jonah struggled with tribalism is that he struggled with an us and them mindset. Us was Israel, God's chosen people. Them was everybody else, nations like Assyria. In his mind, God is always for us and he's always against them. Jonah wants God to follow the guidelines that he has made for him. And that excludes people like Ninevites. Tim Keller puts it this way, Jonah wants a God of his own making, a God who simply smites the bad people, for instance, the wicked wicked Ninevites, and blesses the good people, for instance, instance, Jonah and his countrymen. When the real God, not Jonah's counterfeit, keeps showing up, Jonah is thrown into fury and despair. And when the real God keeps showing up in our lives and destroying the small, man-made versions of him that we create, we get angry too. We can fall into this us and them mindset, can't we? Them are those people who don't deserve the love of God. This can be certain groups of people. We've seen this throughout history, right? This can be certain groups of people. It can be those who struggle with certain sins. You know, that kind of sin is, is too far gone for God's mercy. God doesn't save people like that. It can be Them can be those who have done us great harm and injustice, and this can be really real and painful. Or specifically, it can be those we just might consider enemies. Jonah was so consumed with seeing the Ninevites as them, as outside the love and mercy of God, that in verse 3 he says he would rather die than live in a world where God forgives people like Ninevites. Do you see that? I'd rather die than live in this type of world where there's a God who extends mercy to my enemies. But before we move on, just a couple of questions as we reflect on and think about Jonah's heart and anger. I just wonder if, if, if we don't need to reflect on some of these things because we, we might quickly go, no, I'm not like that, Brett. I don't do things like that. But, but we are usually hesitant to, hesitant to admit just how dark our hearts can be at times. I just wonder, are there types of people that you think that God doesn't save, and if you're honest, that you think he shouldn't save? Are there people that you believe don't deserve the mercy of God? Now, now let's be clear, all of us need the mercy of God. I'm talking about people that you think deserve it less than you. Finally, who's them for you? Who's them for you? Who is labeled as other in your mind? If you were drawing the boundaries of God's love, where would they stop? Did you hear that question? If you were drawing the boundaries of God's love, where would they stop? You've got to do some deep heart work to get to these answers. It won't come on the surface. You've got to sit with the Lord and ask these questions. Next, let's consider God's heart in the passage. We've already seen his character described in verse 2, but I actually want to focus on God's response to Jonah's anger in verse 4. In verse 4, God tries to graciously confront Jonah's anger by asking, is it right for you to be angry? I know there's some parents in this room. This is the right way, right? (laughs) Like, usually when it's going bad, I start to scold or discipline or lose my mind. It goes much better when when I get low and ask a question to my kids. Isn't God the perfect father? What a loving question. He doesn't rail at Jonah. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't punish him, even though he'd be right and just 
to do so. He simply asks a question, a question to try to wake Jonah up out of the fog of his rage. But instead of responding, we've got to see some of the humor here. There's some satire in this book. Instead of responding, Jonah leaves the city and finds a spot to the east of it. He makes a simple makeshift shelter or booth to protect himself from the sun. Why? Why does he do this? Verse 5 tells us to see what would happen to the city. You see, Jonah had not given up hope that God might still judge the Ninevites. Jonah was waiting and watching, hoping that God would rain down fire on Nineveh, that their repentance might not last very long. God might finally do what he should do. So he's not leaving until he sees what God does. And God once again tries to get Jonah to see the sin in his heart. He continues to pursue the running rebel prodigal prophet. Verse 6 tells us, Then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much so that he almost fainted and wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. What's going on here? Well, Jonah, Jonah's shelter doesn't protect him from the sun as much as he'd hope it would. So God causes a plant to grow up miraculously and supernaturally with large leaves to shade him. And Jonah's cool, and he's happy, and he's comfortable with his plant. But when the plant dies the next day due to a worm and a hot driving wind begins to blow, he's miserable. Miserable to the point of not wanting to live. Verses 10 and 11 are going to explain more what God's trying to show Jonah. But don't miss the language in these verses. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a scorching east wind. The same wording has come up all throughout Jonah's story. Jonah 1.4, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Jonah 1.17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah 2.10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God has been providentially working in Jonah's story, whether he was running or repenting, or rebelling, or raging. Let's be clear, the story of Jonah is not about a great fish. It's not about a great prophet. It's about a great God whose unrelenting covenant love pursues both the prodigal prophet and wicked Ninevites because in the end, they both need his mercy in order to be saved. And to really understand God's heart, we have to see that in chapter 4, the plant is God's grace to Jonah, the worm is God's grace to Jonah, and the scorching east wind is God's grace to Jonah. It was all grace, whether it felt like, to him, whether it, felt like to it to him or not. Why? Because God was trying to reveal the dark and sinful places in Jonah that he didn't even know were there, and to bring him into a deeper and fuller experience of, of his grace and mercy. So it was all grace even if it didn't feel like it to Jonah. And the same is true for us. 
God's grace comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, doesn't it? God's grace sometimes is a job provided. Sometimes it's a job lost. God's grace is sometimes being forgiven of sin. God's grace is sometimes being caught in sin. Sometimes grace can be a season of peace in your life. Other times grace can be a season of trial in your life. Grace can be experiencing healing. And grace can be an incurable disease. It's all God. It's all God providentially working in our lives to wake us up to the sin and darkness in us in order to lead us into a deeper, more full experience of his love and grace and mercy. Can we receive it as grace? God never gives up on Jonah. He never stops pursuing him. And Jonah, Jonah doesn't realize that he needs the mercy of God just as much or even more so than the Ninevites do. So God lovingly confronts Jonah again in verse 9. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? In, in some ways, I, I, it's probably not right. It's just who I am. But in some ways, I can't help but laugh at Jonah's response. Yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. Have you ever been so stuck in sin that even the smallest discomfort or inconvenience caused you irrational anger? This is where Jonah is. Rationality has left the building. All Jonah knows is that he's angry and he wants God to know about it. And this is the last time Jonah speaks in the book. This is his last spoken word in the book. But God has one last question to ask. He says to Jonah in verses 10 and 11, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But I, I may not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. If God's question sounds ridiculous, it's meant to. You cared so much about this plant whose existence you had nothing to do with. Can I not care about 120,000 human beings who are made in my image and who are so incredibly lost in their sin? Or, or Jonah, can I at least care about the animals in the city? Are they worth more than a plant? Jonah is, God is continuing to, just don't miss the mercy of God. He's continuing to pursue Jonah with this ridiculous question. Jonah, wake up. Wake up. It's a plant. It's 120,000 image bearers. Do we let this happen? Do we get more angry about minor first world problems and discomforts than our lost neighbors and coworkers who the Bible says are perishing without Christ? Do we need to wake up to what we care about? Do we need to care about the things that God cares about? Those who desperately need Jesus, despite whether they look like us, think like us, grew up like us, live where we live, vote for who we vote. We all need the mercy of God. The answer to God's question is 
Obviously, yes. But we don't get a response from Jonah. And while because of the very fact that Jonah's story exists, it's probable and wonderful to think about the fact that Jonah most likely repented later on and shared his story with others, I don't think that is why the book ends the way it does, without any response or nice and neat repentance from Jonah. I labeled this final point as our heart because I believe one of the reasons that there's no response to God's final question in the story is because the question is meant to extend to us, to the readers. One of the purposes of the story of Jonah is to hold up Jonah like a mirror for us, to reel the places in our hearts where we are like Jonah, running from God, rebelling against him, and raging against his unrelenting mercy that extends to people we don't think it should. God wants to use this story to shine a light into the dark places in our hearts. Will we let him? God's last question to Jonah is a question to us. Will we not only receive the gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love even to wicked enemies, but even more so, will we see ourselves as those who desperately need his grace and mercy? Will we see ourselves as Ninevites? But when God exposes us, like he does in the story of Jonah, he doesn't just leave us there. He's not a surgeon who cuts us open, sees the disease, and just says, okay, let's go to the next one. No, he removes it. He sews us up. He heals us. He forgives us. He makes us whole. That brings us to the second and final reason that I think the book ends without a response from Jonah. Because as Andy mentioned last week, Jonah was never meant to be the hero of the story. I heard a pastor one time talk about how the Bible goes to great lengths to dirty and besmirch the character and reputation of every person in the Bible. Why? So that we'll never be attempted to make a person the hero of the story. So that we'll know that the Bible is always meant to point to the greater hero that we all need. Jonah is supposed to point us to a greater and better prophet. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 41, something greater than Jonah is here. Listen, someone greater than Jonah is here. While Jonah ran from Nineveh when God called him to go, Jesus willingly went with the, when the Father sent him into the world, knowing it would lead to a cross. While Jonah was thrown into a sea because of his sin, Jesus committed no sin, but still willingly dove into the sea of our sin, taking it upon himself. While Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and stayed in the belly for three days, Jesus was swallowed by death, the death we deserve to die, and stayed in the tomb for three days. While Jonah was vomited out on the dry land to receive the word of God for a second time, Jesus burst out of the grave on the third day to conquer sin and death and the devil once and for all. And while Jonah went out of the city of Nineveh, hoping to see its destruction and condemnation, Jesus went out of the city of Jerusalem to die on a cross and accomplish its salvation. Jesus is in every way the greater Jonah. And that's good news because it means that he can be both just and the justifier for wicked Ninevites and prodigal prophets. And no matter which one you see yourself in, 
As Keller says, if you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. Do you believe that this morning? Because it's true. Let's pray.